0: Fast talk, street Street talk, Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people.
1: Solid talk, hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham.
2: Online on DAB Plus, talk radio and talk TV.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is the end of yet another incredible week uh, of shows. I have to say, uh, I have not... I think, had a day when it hasn't been remarkable in terms of news. All the way through, we've had all sorts of things happening. Uh, We've got a new Prime Minister this week, of course. We've got a new Chancellor uh, from last week. He's still managing to hang in there. We've got a new Home Secretary who used to be the Home Secretary, but he's now the Home Secretary again. Uh, We've got so much to talk about coming up into this weekend. Halloween looms on Monday. And for some obscure reason, it just doesn't feel quite right, does it? There was going to be a halloween budget that's not going to happen now either almost everything that we said was going to happen didn't happen and then did happen elon musk for example has taken over twitter first he wanted to take over twitter they said he couldn't and then he said he didn't want to and then they said he had to and now he has is there something weird in the water this year nothing really happens the way it used to happen so if i said I'd like to go to Glasgow. And then somebody said, no, you can't go to Glasgow. And I went, OK, then I don't want to go to Glasgow. And then they go, no, you've got to have to go to Glasgow now. That's what's happened at Twitter. I don't know whether it's made any difference to the way things have gone. We're going to talk to Dan Hodges this morning, columnist on the Mail on Sunday, who's put out a remarkable um, story this morning that there's a poll that's been run. And I know you're going to say, pick whichever poll you want. And one can say the Labour Party are 30 points ahead. This particular poll says that Rishi Sunak is much more in favour in terms of people wanting him to be prime minister than the man in the other corner, Sakir Starmer, the man who can't answer any questions, the man who can't tell you whether he said that Nadia Whitlam had to take down a tweet about Rishi Sunak that could be considered to be racist. He can't also tell you whether uh, Eddie Izzard would appear on a women only shortlist. It's an extraordinary thing. We're going to be bringing you the latest news on everything that's going on in the course of the next three hours. We're going to be keeping you up to date. It is. Poppy Day as well. It's the first day of the 2022 Poppy Appeal. As you can see, uh, I'm wearing my poppy. uh, You should be wearing yours as well. If you feel like you don't want to wear one, I won't make you. If you feel like you don't think it's a good cause, then I'm sorry for you uh, and I shall forever pity you. uh, But I will not force anything on you because we live, after all, in a democracy, do we not? And you certainly wouldn't want people to be told that they had to say things the way they were supposed to say them. Something else that's really interesting. uh, Prince William has announced he's not going to go to Qatar for the World Cup great great decision Uh, I don't think England should be going there as a football team either but that's another story Dan Hodges will have a view on that also we will be talking uh, about the other big stories of the day in politics of course the migrant problem we're being told that there might have to be tented cities put up in various parts of the country to house all these migrants because there's simply not enough room for them there's not enough hotels to be taken over it's an extraordinary state of affairs 0344 499 1000 also of course police solving less crime than ever well, that wouldn't be hard to explain given a piece of video that we saw yesterday. Talk TV put it out uh, of police officers actually protecting Just Stop Oil protesters on the ground from motorists who were so enraged that they wanted to lift them off the road. Police said they couldn't do it. Extraordinary times we live in. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got lots to do. Let's start doing it. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lots to do, lots to talk about. Let's kick things off straight away with Dan Hodges, columnist for the Mail on Sunday. Dan, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I, mean, I haven't really spoken to you since the latest outbreak of madness. I mean, it must have been a couple of weeks, which which is now so long in politics, it's almost like a couple of years of reading Tolstoy. You know, we've had more U-turns than we can shake a stick at. As I said. Uh, we had Elon Musk who said he wanted to buy Twitter, then was told he couldn't buy it, then was told he had to buy it and has now finally bought it. Um, let's start with your tweet this morning about Rishi Sunak and uh, a tweet that I saw yesterday in, in which it was described that Labour have a massive problem with Rishi Sunak as prime minister.
0: Well, it was a slightly, I have to be honest, it was like tongue in cheek um, tweet. I mean, I think the poll shows still shows Labour's got like a twenty. I think it's twenty five, twenty six point uh, uh, sort of polling lead. Yes, um, but it did show that Rishi Sunak is currently more popular in terms of the perception of who would make best prime minister than than Keir Starmer. Now mm. that's obviously a situation we haven't seen for a while. I'm not, I, I, certainly towards the end of Boris's premiership, Keir Starmer was a, was well ahead of him. I don't think there was ever a point where Paul is trust was ahead of uh, uh, ahead of Keir Starmer um but in the space of a, a couple of days that gap has has narrowed indeed been been turned around and it's something that is going to give tory mps in the in 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 the difficult weeks and months again just just a just a, a, a sort of a glimmer of hope and also i think just have a little create a little frisson of nervousness amongst amongst labor mps about about whether or not they really have got the next election in the bag i mean yeah. at the moment there is absolutely no doubt it is Labour and Keir Starmer's election to lose. But I think Rishi Sunak does at least give the Tories a, 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 a bit of a chance, a bit of an outside chance of turning it round.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the thing about um, Starmer, though, is that he still is problematic when it comes to several issues, isn't he? He's still a bit problematic when it comes to the whole Eddie Izzard uh, is he or isn't he? Is he going to be a woman? Is he not going to be a woman? He can't seem to answer that. He was stuck when he was asked a question by Sky News yesterday about uh, about Nadia Whitcomb uh, and her and her tweet about Rishi Sunak. You know, he still seems timid when it comes to some of the bigger issues which are going to really affect who votes for him.
0: I think that I, I think that's a that's a that's a fair criticism. I mean, I, you know, I think we have to give Keir Starmer credit. I mean, he certainly, trans, you know, turned the Labour Party around from where it was under you know in the in the dire days of corbyn but but you know being not being jeremy corbyn is not of itself a particularly particularly high bar i think the biggest problem and the biggest issue for for keir Starmer now and, and the labour party is the the sort of the disastrous uh, Liz Truss premiership has ha, has done one thing that i think is potentially in the tories favor which is the prism through which we see politics now for the the next two years is entirely going to be through the issue of the economy, economic competence and sound fiscal fiscal management. Now, Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt, they're 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 coming in. There's obviously going to be some difficult choices that they're going to have to make on spending, uh, taxation, but it's quite clear they're now prepared to take some of those difficult choices as opposed to Liz Truss who pretended they didn't exist. But that is also going to start to ask questions of Labour. What is Labour's economic strategy and policy going to be? What is Labour going to cut? Where is Labour going to find efficiencies? Where is Labour going to save? And at the moment, I'm not actually seeing Keir Starmer doing much of a job in in answering that that question. It might not matter because people may be just so sick of cuts, so sick of the Tories, so sick of austerity, they just say, we're done with a lot of you. Yeah, but I and still, I, was certainly,
3: can... I was certainly in that place you know, when Liz Truss made such a complete dog's breakfast of everything uh, and then they started talking about having a row between Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson and Penny Moore and I was just like, enough already, let's just have an election, yeah. right? But, you know, there's no question that, that because Sunak has calmed the waters a bit, you know, there'll be people like me who say, all right, well, let's see what he can do. I'm, I'm going to say, and I have said, if he d- makes some proper sort of changes and does some proper kind of direct initiatives before Christmas... That make it look as if the government is going to work then maybe he gets a couple of years and maybe he gets to win an election well that's the
0: thing i mean you know time is time is the issue here does rishi sunak have enough time to take the tough decisions to get a grip on the cost of living crisis to get a grip on it on inflation to start to get get that out of the system and then to start to turn the economy around and return to growth and if he does that we, we could easily be going into the next election with the sort of the classic with the Tories, you know, the classic election framing. We've been through hard times. You've been through hard times. We've had to take tough decisions. Mm. The economy is starting to turn. We're nowhere near out of the woods yet. It's just at the point where things are getting better. Don't let Labour wreck it. And that, at least, as I said, will give the Tories something something to work with.
3: Yeah. And I mean, the big story, and I know that, uh, you know, people would say, well, it would be the big story for Talk TV. But the big story for our listeners and our uh, viewers right now is absolutely and utterly immigration and it seems to be now spiraling out of control and now it's being covered by everybody you know the times are covering it the BBC are covering it you know we're seeing incredible amounts of uh, numbers of people coming here we're seeing stories about tented cities having to be put up you know it is now a massive story in the mainstream and the the Tory party is going to have to solve it and if they did solve that for example and they're talking on the front page today uh, of doing a new deal with France if that works that could be a massive boost for them as well.
0: It could do. I mean, but that is still a very, very complex problem. I mean, I think just looking at the politics of it for a second, though, obviously, over the last few days, we've had this huge debate. I think you mentioned it in the introduction about, you know, Suella Braverman, Home Secretary, sacked, Yeah. come back within six days. Why did Rishi Sunak do that? It was a bad decision. One of the reasons Rishi Sunak, well, in fact, the primary reason Rishi Sunak did that is because Suella Braverman sits very much on the right of the Conservative Party. Yeah. And what he's effectively done is say to her and by extension, the right of the Conservative Party. Okay, you want your person in there sorting out these issues. You've got your person in there. Suella Braveman is in in there now. She's the Home Secretary. It's her job to solve the migrant crisis. You think you can do it uh, from, from the right of the party? You think you've got the prescription for dealing with this? Show me you can do it. If she does it, Rishi Sunak win, you know, wins political. It's a big political win for him. If she doesn't do it, then it's kind of Rishi Sunak's going to turn around and say, well, you know, Suella, you had your chance, the right, of the party, you had your chance, and you blew it. Hmm. So, in a sense, I mean, I wouldn't be go, go quite so far as to say it's a win-win for him, but there is there there is some sound political logic to 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 what he's doing and the way he's trying to address the immigration issue.
3: Yes. And I mean, he has been quite hard line on that. And I think the fact that he's announced that he's not going to go to COP27, which seems to have wound an awful lot of people up uh, who think climate change is a big issue. Uh, It's a less big issue for a lot of uh, conservative voters, I think, than it is for for others. Um, I think that also is quite an interesting signal to send out uh, that he's not going there because he's got more important things to sort out vis-a-vis the mini budget.
0: Absolutely, and I think it was absolutely the right decision. I mean, you know, I I, I went to the last COP. It was a circus. Yeah. It was a farce. You have, you know, the great and the good, you know, from Joe Biden to God knows what Hollywood film star jetting in, driving around in their chauffeur driven limos, pontificating about the environment and driving, out, driving, you know, driving and flying out again. Um, the whole thing was, was quite frankly ridiculous. I think it's absolutely right that Rishi Sunak does say very explicitly, firstly, I've got, I'm sorry, but I've got slightly more important issues. Mm. I've got to get this mini budget right. Yeah. And secondly, that if we are going to engage uh, on environmental issues, as we as obviously we have to, there are better ways of doing it than having this this, this sort of annual or every couple of years. Yeah. Jamboree. Or singing or dancing. Circus show, you know.
3: Well, exactly right. I mean, the only thing they managed to agree on last time at COP twenty six was to have COP twenty uh, seven and to fly off to Egypt. So you know,
0: well, if, not if, really... you re- if you if you remember the last time, the last it ended up with the, with the British COP minister in tears on the podium. Yeah. So that's that shows how well it went last time. Yeah, I was in
3: tears just watching him. But there we are. That was for a different reason. But Stan, there we are. We're going to talk about Qatar. We're going to talk about Prince William. Uh, going to talk about a great many other things as well. Less crime being solved too. Also, of course, there's a big sentencing hearing going on today uh, where uh, the healer who decapitated a pensioner and stuffed her body in a suitcase, it's a £700,000 inheritance scam. Uh, she's going to be sentenced live this morning Uh, Right here, we'll bring you that as soon as it happens. This is Talk TV. Trisha Goddard. The original Queen of Talk is on
1: Talk Radio.
4: Get on the guest list with the legendary Trisha Goddard. It
1: is about crawling back from the brink sometimes. A transatlantic talk show with a difference.
4: I can feel the energy from here.
1: Trisha Goddard. Tomorrow afternoon from 1
2: on Talk Radio and Talk TV.
3: See it, hear it, think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Fascinating case which we will be bringing you live because uh, a woman called Gemma Mitchell murdered a Malaysian pensioner um, and battered her to death. uh, Then cut her head off, put her body in a suitcase and dumped it in Devon. She's going to be the first woman sentenced live on television today at the Old Bailey. And we will bring that sentencing to you. Uh, She's a self-styled healer um she was found guilty of course in the old bailey um there's all sorts of things to talk about around the televising of such an event but we will bring it to you and it will be happening at some point we're told in the next possibly uh, 10 minutes to half an hour Uh, right now we're talking to dan hodges our economist at the mail on sunday um dan front page of the sun this morning i know you're a football fan will's not going to qatar which i think is also a very very clear message and a very good decision i think by him isn't it
0: yeah, I think it is. I think uh, I agree with you though. I mean, I I, I you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what what anyone's doing going to Qatar for yeah. this uh, you know, for this World Cup. I think the whole whole thing is absolutely absolutely ridiculous. Mm. Um and and I, and I think it's it, it's good he's he's he sent he sent that signal out. I mean, I do think I mean, I do think this is a slightly complicated one though because I saw there was a big um there's a big uh uh, uh, well, a big row. There was a there was a row early in the week re- when you know the foreign secretary James Cleverly said, "Look, we, we're going to have to. There's going to I think he said there's going to have to be sort of flex or something. Mm. It's going to have to be on on both sides. People who are going out there are going to need to be respectful, and and obviously the Qatari authorities is going to need to be respectful. Um, and uh, you know, I think I, I I think he's I think he's right about that. I mean, I think we're going to have to be realistic about about how people act when they when they do go out yeah. there." But I think, in terms of the broader principle, I think of what what you know Prince William's doing is absolutely right.
3: No, listen. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody this morning about this, and I remember as a, as a kid going to places like Venice, and my father not being allowed into St Mark's Cathedral because he was wearing shorts. Uh, and my mother being told she had to put a, a veil over her head, and in the same way that uh, anybody who goes to Saudi Arabia, if you're a woman, you're supposed to dress a particular way. I mean, that's absolutely fair enough, and, and and as as it should be. But I wonder if the if the uh, the heir to the throne has announced officially that he's not going, whether that brings a bit of pressure. On James Cleverly, uh, not to go either.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I don't know whether whether government ministers are planning to attend. I mean, a, a, again, the one thing I would say though is, you know, we've had a thing the last few last few days where we say, you know, we, we want the grown ups back in charge. We want mm. grown up politics, and that's going to mean also if, if we if we want to be serious about that, that's also going to mean we, we need we you know we need grown up foreign policy as well. You know, Qatar is an ally. In a very very sensitive area area of the world, it is it is right and proper that the, the, the government ministers have proper relations with with Qatar. I don't think it would be it's conceivable to say that government ministers in, in, in a blanket way are going to are, are going to boycott the boycott the country. Uh, we need to maintain a dialogue. Um, but I think that's separate and I think it's perfectly legitimate for for Prince William to make his, you know, to make his own statement.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, we do buy an awful lot of gas from Qatar, which I presume will continue uh, for quite some time, despite whatever the Just Stop Oil people want to say about life in general. Um, Mark Drakeford's, of course, going as well. Um, and, uh, he, and he's going sort of against Labour policy because Labour uh, under Keir Starmer have said that he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to send anybody else from Labour. Well,
0: but again I, i'm, I'm sort of confused about that because isn't isn't one of the sort of uh one of the big ad- advocates uh for qatar or has been doing i don't know whether it's a pro- promotional video or a documentary um is gary is saint gary neville mm. who i mean he's he's been he's been over there over there loads of times and he's i, I thought he was like one of keir starmer's best mates and had recently joined the labor party in this talk about him being a candidate for the labor party so again Scenario where maybe you know Labour and Keir Starmer should should, should look to get their their, their own lines sorted. Well, out.
3: exactly right. I mean Gary Neville's kind of the uh, the new the new voice of Andy Burnham, isn't he? So sort of a slightly bigger audience than Andy Burnham, so everything he says is almost as though Andy Burnham's told him to say it. Seems to me, anyway. Apparently they're quite good mates. But Gary Neville's not averse, of course, to a bit of hypocrisy. He's taking the money from uh, from the Al uh, Jazeera organisation to do be in Sport um, commentary position, where he's probably going to make quite a lot of money out of it.
0: Well, I mean, ex- exactly. That's what I am saying. So, if we, if we could just have a little bit of clarity rather than <laughs> some of the sort of sort of hypocritical hectoring that we get from Labour on these issues occasionally, that would yeah. be, that would be very welcome.
3: A quick, a quick uh, nod, quick to, to, to what's going on north of the border. Nicholas Sturgeon uh, is in a sort of row up there about this trans law that's bringing that's coming in. Seven MSPs have gone against the party line. Um, Rishi Sunak has again tried to sort of calm things between uh, uh, between Scotland and Wales and Westminster. Um, what do you make of what's going on up there?
0: Well, I think it's an extension of what is obviously a very difficult and, and, and frankly very depressing ongoing debate about, uh, about trans rights. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think a number of sort of people on the progressive left are looking at this as just a classical... It, obviously, Nicola Sturgeon's one of those people looking at this as a classic case of, you know, just basic you know, protecting basic rights. But unfortunately, it isn't. It's it's, a, it, it's an area where we have a collision of rights between those people who want to redefine as a different sex a different gender and those people who want to protect um, declared safe spaces in particular for, you know, particularly for women. Yeah. I, I mean, my own view of, of this is, there are only a few areas and we all know what they are, changing rooms, prisons, et cetera, where there has to be a conflict over this. And I think with, you know, common sense and goodwill on both sides, you know, we can we can we can resolve that. But, but I do think it is, you know, it is quite clear uh, and we can see you can see in the way the debate is changing. You cannot simply say to somebody, well, you can simply define yourself, self-define as a woman. And then, then access what are currently protected spaces for women. I mean, that is obviously not a, not a viable option. And that's why you've seen, you know, the resignation and, and, and the other uh, the other rebellion amongst members of the SNP up in Scotland.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I've got a great one here from Hosser who says, Mike, I would like to thank the SFA and the Scottish football team in their stance to boycott the World Cup in Qatar. Of course, um, they boycott every World Cup in Scotland. Don't yeah, they? it was selfless of them. It was a, <laughs> it was a selfless. I mean, selfless one of my act. one of my favourite, I think, sort of memes of the year was the uh, the Scottish comedian who said, "Wouldn't it just be typical that we'd end up getting to a World Cup and it would be a place where you couldn't get a drink?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> which would have been, I mean, but it is a very odd thing. I mean, as a football fan, and I don't want to turn this into a sports program, but but I mean, it's not going to feel right. It already, to me, doesn't feel right. It's going to be 22 degrees tomorrow, and Halloween's coming on. Monday the clocks are going back. We're then going to have. Of, uh, a World Cup happening um, at a time of year when there's never a World Cup. This is going to be very odd, stopping the Premier League to watch oh. something in a faraway place. All the games, I presume, are going to be about sort of four or five o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Well, I mean, that's, the, I mean, I, I, you know, as, the biggest thing actually for me is, is obviously what I've seen before is, is the break in the Premiership because mm. it's actually shaping up to be quite an in, incredible... It really is. ...premiership yeah. season. And, I, you know, I can't, you know, remember watching a more fascinating sort of start to the Premiership mm. and the idea it's suddenly going to stop. Yeah. Is actually quite depressing, especially given. I have to be honest. You know, I think I think England are, are travelling to the world this World Cup more in more in hope than expectation. To put it, to yeah. put it mildly.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. Well, we shall see. No doubt. Uh, who can say? Um, I'm not even going to bother asking you what your prediction is for the political week coming up because I've given up doing all that because uh, literally <laughs> anything could happen. But Suella Braverman, do you think still around um, come Christmas?
0: Well, she she might still be around come five o'clock. Put okay. it that way, I'm not, say, not going any further is, than this that. This is
3: where we are. This is where we are, Dan. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll look forward to reading your column in the mail on Sunday this week. Dan Hodges there, uh, not willing to go beyond five o'clock. I'm saying that. Do you remember when we were in uh, the early part of last week, and I'm saying I'm not sure if Liz Truss will last out the day. And finally, I was right, of course, because there was one day where she didn't last it out. Um, We've got plenty to do. We want to hear from all of you, of course, 0344 499 1000. Got this from Dodo, uh, who says, as a Conservative Party member, I never supported Rishi Sunak, mainly because I had a problem with his Covid expenditure. Mike, there is something in the water. I'm liking what I'm seeing with Rishi. He is very bright. Well, I think there is that. There is that possibility that he could pull this all back, couldn't he? Coming up, we're going to talk uh, to a lawyer about the immigration problem in this country and why it is so difficult for the world and his wife and his husband and his mother and his father and his brother and his sister to do something about this. This is Talk TV.
2: On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk
3: TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up it is Halloween weekend of course so there's going to be a lot going on. Uh, We've also got of course uh, Poppy Day uh, 2022 Poppy Appeal launches today. I'm wearing a poppy. Uh, As I say uh, we'll be talking about that throughout the course of the show. Uh, It's a great cause. It is something uh, that everybody should get behind. Uh, Halloween of course. uh, We were speaking on Jeremy Carl's show to somebody who does up his house uh, up there in Lanarkshire. Lisa has tweeted me uh, with a lovely picture and I've retweeted it. Um, As for Halloween We have a light show in West Houghton, thousands of LEDs, the lights change to music, two times 30 minute shows over four nights. A shout out would be great. Uh, Fair enough. Well, there you are. It does look pretty amazing. And Bob says this please tell your mate Jeremy Carl we want Suella Braverman to stay as Home Secretary as she is so committed to solving the migrant crisis. Well, you may say that, of course, Bob, but solving the migrant crisis has proved to be a somewhat difficult proposition for many Home Secretaries. Suella Braverman is now going to have a second bite of the cherry. But I don't really know whether she will be she may well be committed to solving the crisis. But the crisis now is reaching ridiculous proportions. We're now hearing that there might be tented cities required in London to house all the migrants who can't be fitted in any longer to detention centres, to hotels, uh, to private accommodation. The government this week asking people if they would like to put up some asylum seekers in their own homes. I mean, the whole business has reached epic proportions of lunacy it seems to me and let's talk to dr s chelvin head of immigration and public law at 33 bedford row chambers dr chelvin a very good uh, morning to you welcome
5: good morning uh, mike
3: thank you very much indeed for joining us this is a story that we've been covering for a very very long time here at talk tv uh, in in our previous incarnation at talk radio um and it seems to me that suddenly everybody's woken up and gone oh blimey this migrant crisis is quite a crisis isn't it Suddenly, everybody's interested. Suddenly, people are saying, "Why are we not doing something about it?" I mean, how has it got this far without it being kind of addressed properly?
5: Well, we we know from the article in the Times at the moment, this whole thing about migrant tent cities was only a, a suggestion. It's, it's not an actual proposal, and you know, local boroughs in London would have to approve any uh, any proposal. But you know, look, this is a, just a uh, testing the water with. The yeah, no, but for me, the fact that they're even su- the fact uh, they're even minutes.
3: suggesting such a thing uh, seems mad, doesn't it?
5: Well, I, I wouldn't put anything past this uh, this government in relation to uh, far far um, you know, bizarre plans such as Rwanda, etc. But let, let's look at the crucial issue. Mm. There are one hundred twenty thousand asylum decisions to be made. Um, they, they are taking, at a minimum, an average of four hundred and eighty days for an asylum decision to be made. So that's why we're having a, an issue in relation to the fact that those um, my, refugees who come to the country lawfully to claim asylum are not being processed effectively some of my clients are taking up to three years between the initial application and even being interviewed uh, and then getting yeah. status. So, so you so represent what's, what's
3: so do you represent a lot of people who are seeking asylum
5: yes well um I, i've been practicing in this field for over 20 years okay so how do you find these clients where do you get them from sorry i sorry i um i don't know if you understand so I'm a barrister right, and I'm instructed by solicitors okay, and so solicitors come to me with cases in the main or or, or direct access so these right. are these are individuals who are in the country who have uh, i do mainly legal aid cases um where they don't have any uh, means and there's a clear Meritorious case because you know, Mike, the, the facts aren't there's is, this is a great opportunity to get the facts because the facts don't lie. Over 50% are granted refugee obviously. status, and, and out of that, you know, an overall 70 to 80%. So, the majority of people who come to the UK are genuine refugees or in entitled to some sort of yeah. Well,
3: country. when you say genuine yeah. refugees, you see the difficulty for the people who are getting a bit fed up with the numbers of people coming and being granted asylum or not granted asylum or just not leaving for whatever reason? Uh, is that you know the definitions are important and when we talk about facts, you know, the definition of a refugee um, yes. is something which might or might not, in many people's minds, qualify them under any other circumstances to come here. So, I mean, legally, this is, this is, tell me what you understand
5: le- as the definition of a refugee.
3: Legally, no, it doesn't matter what I understand as the definition of a refugee. What I'm saying no. is, is, that I'm here You're to of the I'm here to ask you questions. It's not the other way around. Um, oh right. So, okay. so Let's what I'm saying, on. what I'm saying to you is, is that you know, it's all very well laughing about it, but we are sitting here in a crisis, right? You're making a lot of money out of it, so congratulations. No, I'm
5: not. I, I'm not making anywhere near what a commercial barrister be we learned. Well, you're making you're, you're making, you're making a
3: living, a king. So you, I do. Yeah, this yeah but, work yeah, but you, are, you aren't. Are, is, it is your. There's no point talking at the same time, right? I'll let you talk. I can talk as well. The point is, you. It's your business. To do what you do for a living, it's fine. You make, a month, you make a living out of it, it's absolutely fine. Many people coming here seeking asylum, I'm sure, would like to live in Britain. I'm sure many people here would like to go and live in Beverly Hills. It doesn't mean they should come here. You know, the point is, is that you can take a view on the refugee crisis, but what you can also take a view on is the fact that you know as well as I do that an awful lot of people coming specifically on these boats across the channel are being trafficked. Now, you might say that's happening for a number of different reasons, but there's a criminal part to this. And that's the part that I think needs to be addressed. I don't really well, want to well, address well, the whole Mike, asylum you, system.
5: You, you've identified the key word. If they're being trafficked, then they are you know, eligible for protection under the Trafficking Convention. There, there's no, a, I think if, we if need you to, to be f- careful no, but about I, definitions because I'm a lawyer. Yeah, so I look at what you say and see where I'm very careful. I'm,
3: I'm very careful about my definitions because yes. the whole point of what we talk about on this show. And I talk many, many more words every day, probably even than you do. And you probably talk quite well. But the point is this. We have to surely identify the difference between people who are coming genuinely because they are seeking refuge from danger and people who are coming for another reason. And And we know know, that
5: 70 70 to 80% are genuine refugees. or I'm not discussing uh, that. So, so, look, this is what Parliament has enacted. We're part of the 1951 Refugee Convention, 1967 Protocol. Britain has a historic link. Remember, we had, what, less than 100 years ago, the Empire, now the Commonwealth. I mean, I specialise in claims of sexual and gender identity, people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual. You know, the UK exported colonial laws, which have been used in these countries to persecute, kill, rape and murder people. So, you know, that is... The yeah, well, don't worry, they've been persecuting... The, they've you know, you know, persecuting raping... The well, I've I got some
3: news for you, actually. the, the Persecution, you, rape and murderism going on around the world since the year dot. You know, it's not something that was exported from Britain.
5: The colonial laws which are used to uh, enable people to kill, murder and rape people are exported by Britain. That's a fact.
3: Well, listen, if there are countries around the world where you get killed for being homosexual, you're saying that's our fault, you?
5: Sorry, is it that the laws were exported by Britain well, through the empire? You know, that, that's a fact.
3: Well, you know, homosexuality used to be illegal in Britain, but it's not anymore. So well, that's I'm why we changed the law
5: to be able to protect. Well, so, well I'm not sure law... what your point well, is. Mike, what, what's, the, the, what is your point, the, the, I mean, What your I'll... viewers want to know is that are people who come to the UK seeking asylum genuine or not? And the Home Office Facts and our independent judges and tribunals have said that the majority are Genuinely. Yeah. So well, that's, that's, your yeah, well that, that's because they don't that, want to know the right way. But that's but that's, but that's easy. That's easy. Of, of no, but
3: that's that's an easy it's fact. Untrue. No, well, it's not. The, the fact is, the Home Office is not fit for purpose. You know it, and I know it. As you said, they've only processed four percent of the cases that they've been looking at A- over the Robert past And Robert Jenrick has said, over and it's reported
5: in the Times. Robert Jenrick accepts that the 117,000, just under 120,000, asylum cases to be determined. We need to be able to focus on that because these migrants are waiting for the Home Office to even fix an asylum interview. They're here seeking our protection. Yeah. The facts speak for themselves. The majority are genuine. We need to have proper funding in relation to the Home Office to make those decisions and not uh, uh, allow the... Let's put it this way. allow these people to have to wait... For an Let's
3: put it this position. way, OK? Let me put it to you this way. The majority are judged to be genuine, which is not quite the same thing as no, you well, well The laws
5: of this country, uh, no. Mike, we, we no, live no. by the laws no. of this country.
3: One of the One of the qualifications to seek asylum as a genuine asylum seeker, as a genuine refugee, is that you fear the return to your own country, isn't it? Yes. Right.
5: Well, a country why, of nationality well, or habitual residence. Right.
3: That's so, a so, of so under if a you say, so 51. so let me put it, so let me put a scenario to you. So, if you say that you fear going back to your own country because you're a homosexual, then you will you're be. Okay, now we don't
5: use the word homosexual. Will, That's a bit of outdated and discriminatory. Well, what word do you let, use? Let, let's start talking in 2022. All right. Well,
3: which word that. would you prefer me to use?
5: well gay man lesbian all right, gay, gay all right so if you Those say all right okay so
3: i would like to use any word that i want to use actually because i don't get told what words to use but if you wish me to use well, that it, word well
5: it's offensive to me as a gay man I well, can use that well if term. you
3: find me calling you a homosexual offensive then i think you should get a new job but i will call you a gay man if you prefer <laughs> Thank um, you. the fact is the fact Thank is if you say that you're gay and if you go back to your own country you will be uh, in danger of torture or death that will then make you judged to be a good asylum seeker and somebody, no, a, a refugee, and somebody who is a refugee. refugee. So that's what I'm saying. So the law says that you are one, but you could be yes. lying, and we don't
5: know. No, 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 because it's about credibility assessment. So there's yeah, but it, the it's credibility the assessment isn't worth and the and paper it. it's written on. I, I, I mean, I, I'm more than happy to you know um, to pr- provide you a sort of asylum law 101. But it's, it's I know what it is. I know program. exactly
3: how, and I know it's how people, and I know how people get around it. Yeah, but I know right. asylum. I don't need. I don't need a condescending barrister to talk down to me as if you're the only person who no, no, knows. No, I want to anything. share information. No, you're being a, condescending. You. You're being very condescending, and it doesn't surprise me because that's what you people do. But let me let me ask you this question, right?
5: Do you I, not I'm, accept I'm trying to provide you the information? No.
3: Do you not accept that there are some who are judged to be refugees who might have made up a story in order to stay here? Do
5: you accept that? No. No. Because the point is, because the reason sorry, So if nobody does that. that. Then I wouldn't, you know, so look uh, Mike, th- the point is, you're always looking at the negative and the no, class I'm not. Form. No, I'm looking at the I'm big picture. At the, the laws of of England and Wales, the way that we have, the Home Office making initial decisions, we have independent judges and tribunals. If we don't believe in anything, then we might as well be in dictatorship. What I'm Maybe telling you, no, me. no. You but see, I once again, in no the laws of this country. Once again, that you're independent once, judges no, and tribunals. No,
3: no, it suits your purposes right. to say that. No, no, of course, it, it does. Suits your purposes no. to be right
5: wing no, and no, talk about. I'm not right wing. What makes you say that?
3: What makes you think I'm right wing?
5: Well, uh, the, the, the 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 fact that you're you're indicating that you don't believe that the system works, and the needs system to be doesn't to work. The system the plainly,
3: refugees. the system plainly doesn't work. The Home Office knows it doesn't work. The government knows it doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. It works for you.
5: No, it it, it works in the fact that genuine refugees are granted refugee status and have sanctuary and safety. Yes, they are. If I didn't believe that the system worked. I wouldn't be part of the system. Yeah, but but, but
3: the fact that, that you are unwilling to accept that some people. Make use of the system and abuse the system is extraordinary to me because you well, should well, know well, but, but that Matt, they there do. Are
5: always outliers. There are oh, always so you admit outliers. that there are people who They're do make outliers, up stories. But when we look at the majority, uh, it's not the that's not the question what I asked you. Want to know is that does the system no. work in relation no. to the Home Office no. and our independent courts and tribunals? No. And it works. That is what not the question I asked you. it needs to be a processing of the claims. Okay. No. The All Home Office to have a processing. All right. Well, let me ask you the
3: question. Let me finally ask you the question another way. I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself.
5: Do well, I don't ex- think I need to be redeemed, but. You know, yeah, I know, because
3: oh, yeah. you're too pompous. Let me put it to you this way. Would you <laughs> accept. Would you accept. Would you accept that there are some people.
6: One size
5: fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
5: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Who, who uh, manipulate the system in order that they can stay here by telling untruths. Would you accept that some people do that?
5: The human condition... Yes or no? Way that there will people. No, I'm not going to make an admission that the system is infiltrated I didn't ask you about the system. Many. I asked you about there will individuals. will be the outlier. Of course Yes, I, thank I'm you very much reasonable. indeed. Yeah,
3: thank you. You've just admitted it. That's fine. Thank you very much indeed. Bedford Road Chambers, um, a lawyer. That's why we have a problem in this country. Let me tell you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: This is Talk TV. We do, of course, have a great many things to do. Many of you uh, sending in some great messages about that uh, barrister. Um, Marty from Cornwall says, great show this morning regarding our country's out of control immigration situation. This last couple of years now, I can see how easy it is to legally stay when represented by people like the barrister you were just interviewing. Very pompous-sounding person, in my opinion. And Trev in Newcastle says, Mike, you're wasting your time trying to argue with lawyers about illegal immigration. It is their bread-and-butter earnings, and they aren't going to surrender that any time soon. Um, we've just been uh, listening to the sentencing hearing at the Old Bailey, Judge Richard Marks KC. Uh, King's Counsel, of course, is what they call it now. And he's absolutely an um, uh, incredible story. 34 years in prison. Uh, Let's get an update now from our news team. What can you tell me? Hi. Yeah, so
4: we've just had the first um, sentencing, well, the second ever televised sentencing, but this was the first ever murder sentencing which was televised and the first in which the defendant was a woman. Um, So ultimately she was sentenced to 34 years minimum term, but life in prison. And from that, she'll have the 475 days Mm. which she spent in custody um, deducted from it. It was quite poignant really watching mm. it because obviously normally the insides of courts yes. are completely no access to the public. Yeah, I mean
3: people, I mean you've probably seen inside a courtroom I used yes. to cover court cases yeah. as well so for us it's it's not that unusual but it's 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 quite a solemn place but it's but it's a fascinating place as well, isn't it?
4: Yeah, and I think the whole point of it really is that they want the judiciary process to be more trustworthy, more transparent and Mm. by showing parts of it, hopefully the public will be able to understand it a bit better and trust in it more. So not
3: every case will be televised. Is it something that people can object to if they're actually involved in the case?
4: Um I'm not sure whether people can object to it, but it's definitely something that's going to become more commonplace. Mm. So even though obviously it's quite a new thing for England and Wales, um it's something that's going to be happening more and more and that we can become more familiar with definitely.
3: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Eleanor Shearwood there, Talk TV's reporter uh, at the Old Bailey. Uh, You would have heard the case, as we said, 34 years, a sentence which has been televised for the first time. Uh, the first time a woman has been televised, being found guilty and sentenced to for murder. 34 years at the Old Bailey. Uh, let's talk now, though, uh, to former Metropolitan Police Superintendent, Palm Sandu uh, because we've got several police stories to talk to uh, uh, with her this morning. But, but uh, Palm, uh, very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good um, morning. Just a word on this case, really. Terrible, terrible case. And, I mean, sometimes we worry about... Um, uh, the the figures and the arrests that police make. But I mean, for any police officer involved in this case, finding a decomposed, decapitated head in the woods in Devon, I mean, it must be be a pretty awful scene um, and it must be pretty awful to work on these kinds of cases.
6: I think it's really sad for the family as well, because, you know, if she's got any family or extended family, for them to know that that was done to her body afterwards Mm. by someone that she trusted, that she befriended and trusted and who had access to her, her money, her home, everything. It's just the, the ultimate betrayal. Yes. And then for the family to have to then deal with a burial of a decomposed body that is has been decapitated as well, it's absolutely dreadful.
3: Oh, it's dreadful. Absolutely right. Let's get back to the matter in hand, which is, I'm afraid, yet another report of police... Um, I would say just uh, inefficiency, really. Um, You can maybe put some context around it, but but some more statistics that have come out which basically show that police are solving less crime than ever. It's extraordinary, isn't it?
6: It is pretty um, damning. But what we've got to remember is there are less police now than there were 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And those police officers are being asked to do jobs that they weren't being asked to do 10 years ago. Police officers nowadays, and the majority are good, hardworking people, are dealing with um, mental health issues they 're dealing with issues that normally would have been dealt with by social services they 're attending medical emergencies yes. and the biggest drain of all is that they are dealing with protesters who are gluing themselves and causing um, chaos mm. left right, and center so Policing isn't about catching the bad guys anymore. Unfortunately, it is about doing all of those other things as well.
3: I mean, the figures are stark. It says here only 5.4% of all crimes resulted in a charge in the year to June, which is literally one in 20. Uh, This represents a fall from 6.5% the previous year and just a third of the charging rate from seven years ago, 15.5%, when probably you were still um, in the uh, Metropolitan Police, it comes as recorded crime has hit an historic high of 6.5 million offences, up 7% since before the pandemic. So it's a pretty dreadful state of affairs, really. We hear that um, in the Metropolitan Police, certainly, we've now got a new boss, um, he's vowing to improve things. We've got a new um, Home Secretary twice over. Uh, she's yes. back again. Um, she's been talking about making the police less woke. But, I mean, is this a bit like turning around an oil tanker?
6: Um, it is a little bit in that the resources aren't there to actually turn that tanker around. But in addition, there's something like 78% of burglaries are closed down with no suspect ever being identified. Mm. And burglary is a thing that affects most people. And only half of those burglaries were ever attended in person. So I, I welcome the fact that all burglaries will now be attended by a police officer. I think it's really important. Yeah. And that's what police officers join for, because that is, that is an intrusion into your private life, your home life. And that's where people feel most, un, most unsafe. Mm. Yeah. If that happens. And the, in relation to car theft and bike theft, over 90% of those are closed down without any suspect mm. at all. So police aren't doing what police officers should be doing. And that needs to change. Yeah. And if that takes six months, if it takes a year, then so be it. But one of the most appalling statistics is the one around rape and the conviction rate for rape is less than one one and a half percent. And it takes two years for mm. a case to get to court two
3: years yeah and that's a terrible um, imposition not only on the victim but also on the accused because you know uh, we know that the rates of conviction are very low partly because it's one word against another in the end but I mean it's not a pleasant situation for anyone to be in is it
6: no it's not and it's not acceptable because justice should be given quickly and effectively not two years you know possibly longer three years later for both sides and it is for the, you know, for the suspect as well. They, If they're innocent, they need to be able to go to court and put their side of the story forward.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, biggest increases our sexual offences up 21% uh, to 196,889, the highest number on record. I mean, it's a staggering uh, number that, isn't it? And I mean, does that mean that more are being reported perhaps now? Or does it mean there genuinely is an increase in that kind of offence?
6: I'd like to think it was more being reported because there's more media coverage, there's more unacceptable. you know, people are pointing out what is unacceptable. So some of those offences will be, you know, people would have accepted it in the past or they wouldn't report it or they would be too ashamed or embarrassed. So people are coming forward. So I'd like to think it was the fact that more have been reported, not that the society has changed mm. and those those crimes are being committed more frequently. I mean, but I, I think, think it's more about trust.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that people that I speak to genuinely feel more unsafe on the streets of this country now. You know, we see more and more uh, cases of I mean, some of the violent crime that's happening on the streets, whether it's gang on gang. Um, but there's, it certainly feels like there's more of it. I don't know if you saw an incredible scene up on North Wales in the A55. There was like a car chase going on where these guys in the BMW were sort of shutting off access to a van. They got out. They started throwing things at the van. The van driver drives off. I mean, it's an incredible scene. You see these kids going up and down Park Lane on bikes, basically robbing people at will. Um, you know, it's an in, it's an incredibly kind of brazen act that many of these people are now carrying out and just sort of robbing people in the street. I lived in New York City when it was like that. And I remember I used to, you know, sort of be very wary walking around, even in broad daylight. You would see gangs of teenagers kind of rolling tourists in the middle of Times Square, you know, literally sort of barrel into somebody, knock them onto the ground, take their watch, take their wallet and run off. It's that it feels like that now.
6: And and you're right. That is how people feel, because there is no deterrent. Because if you don't catch these people, if you don't then lock them up, in a cell without a PlayStation, without designer clothes, where they are being punished for the crimes that they've committed, there's no deterrent. And the only way that you can stop those crimes from happening is if those people fear that they are going to be caught Prosecuted and put into prison. If you're not catching the people in the first place, and then you're not charging them, and then they're going to prison and they're being given all these designer goods, mm. there is no deterrent at all.
3: No, exactly right. I mean, I always get calls from people after speaking to people like yourself on the uh, on the TV. Uh, I had one call which absolutely amazed me, and it was a woman I think who said that she reported a burglary to the police 7.30 one night. By ten thirty, she had another call to say they'd closed the case and they hadn't even talked to her about it. You know, it was one of those where they just, as you were saying earlier, they just close it off.
6: That's right. And that is what's happening because of the lack of resources. What they're saying is if there's no other evidence, they'll close it down. But how do you know there's no other evidence if you don't go and visit that person in the first place and check is there CCTV? Did anybody, did any of the neighbours see it? How can you close those cases down? It's not right. No. It just isn't acceptable.
3: So, I mean, if you were in the Metropolitan Police now, um, and we've got the new Metropolitan Police uh, Commissioner, Who's in charge of trying to fix it? I realise they've got a massive problem. I will say to these people who support Just Stop Oil, and sometimes it's idiotically supporting that, like people like Gary Lineker, um, who are basically encouraging people to do this kind of thing. It's really holding up the day to day operations of the Metropolitan Police, isn't
6: it? It is. And what's happening with those protesters is they're not letting ambulances through, they're not letting fire services through. So the impact isn't just on normal working people mm. it's also on the emergency services that they then need to call yeah so the, the impact is too i think it's too big a price to pay yeah and whatever your politics whatever you whoever you support i don't i'm i'm not sure that i agree with the tactics that are being used
3: no and i think that's a sensible way to put it but the other problem for me is that and we're seeing more and more of this individuals, you know, private citizens, people who are in vehicles are getting more and more irate, more and more instances of them jumping out of the cars, trying to drag these people away. And there was a piece of footage yesterday from somewhere in London, not quite sure where, where the police officers were actually protecting the Just Stop Oil um, demonstrators who were sitting down. They were preventing (laughs) irate sort of individuals, car drivers and lorry drivers from getting at them to move them. And then you've got a real problem on your hands because you've got the police effectively protecting the lawbreakers against people who are just trying to get around and do their job.
6: Police are literally caught in the middle with situations like that. Because I did see the um, uh, video of the guy who got onto the train at Canning Town or somewhere. Yes. Being dragged off by the public. Yes. And, you you know, the, those are people who are trying to go, get into work as an early train, get into work to do their cleaning jobs, to do their rounds, to do whatever they do. Mm. And they are being disrupted by one individual who is selfish enough to affect people who are travelling by public transport. Yeah, You know, sometimes I don't understand the logic behind no. it.
3: But it can't be right that the police are then going to protect somebody like that. You know, because if the police that I watched yesterday were at Canning Town that morning, they would have prevented the commuters from pulling them off the top of the train.
6: The, the issue there is that police have a duty to prevent any breach of the peace and if they feel that there might be a breach of the peace as in a fight might break, break out or somebody may get assaulted or hurt they have, they have no choices. Yeah. No, but they surely then but surely then,
3: they have to make the judgement that the cause of the breach of the peace is the person sitting on the ground so you remove the person sitting on the ground, surely.
6: It's not as easy as that because some of those people have been glued to the ground and then you have to call in. I don't, and see, that. Pe-
3: I don't see that as a problem to be honest.
6: This is where the police service and us as taxpayers are paying for teams to go and unglue yeah. these individuals. But a lot
3: of them, though, I mean, in, in this particular video, they weren't glued because before the police started to protect them, some of them were being dragged off. They were literally just sitting there. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think the police have just got to be more robust. And I'm only saying that because that's the message I get from from the viewers of this show.
6: Police are bound by certain rules and regulations and they have to follow those. Otherwise, those same protesters would then be suing the police for getting hurt, getting dragged off, I don't know, you know, burns from the gravel or whatever it is. It, it just get, becomes ridiculous. It becomes absolutely crazy.
3: Exactly right. Something's got to be done. Palm, thank you very much indeed. Palm Sandu there giving us the lowdown on why the police just can't seem to do anything right these days. Uh, I don't think it's anybody's fault but theirs, to be honest. Now, do remember, if you're watching Talk TV at home, don't forget you can continue listening to the programme while you're in the car on Talk Radio. So if you are watching me right now and you go, look, I've got to get out, but I can't stop watching it. It's that good. You can get in the car and watch it. No. You can if you're not driving. But if you're driving, you can get in the car and listen to Talk Radio because we're on multi platforms now. Talk Radio, Talk TV. You can get it on the app, you can get it on YouTube. And if you are on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe while you're at it. This is Talk TV.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike
3: Graham on Talk Radio. It is a poppy day, of course, and we'll be talking some more about that. Apparently, some people have been having a go at me on TikTok. We'll be telling you more about that later on. Uh, TikTok is an unusual place, a place filled with people much younger than me doing things which I don't really understand. Of course, you would expect me to be a, a, a factor, a point of interest there, but we'll see what's going on and we'll bring that to you very shortly. We've been talking this morning an awful lot about the migrant problem. The front page of The Times this morning, Prime Minister seeks deal to curb channel crossings. That headline could literally have been read from about 2012, 2013, 2014. You get the picture. I mean, there's nothing new here. Henry Bolton's here. Henry, right. very nice to see you again. You're a busy man yeah, at the I was... moment. I watched you on Jeremy Carley the other night mm-hmm. offering to help the government for free, Absolutely. basically, to sort this problem out. We're hearing this morning uh, that there's ideas of possibly putting up tented cities Not. to house people. We're hearing from Manston that there's 3,000 mm-hmm. people sleeping on the floors of a place that's meant to hold 1,000 You know, people running in and out of people's residences down on the south coast, demanding phones and demanding, you know, um, with menaces. Unbelievable situations going on. Finally, the the sort of the main body of the media is picking this story up. But I don't know if you heard Jeremy Carl this morning. Roger Gale, MP, Mm -hmm. a man who is not one of my favourites, it has to be said, um, threatening to cut the conversation short if Jeremy stopped using emotive words about people being illegal. I mean, what is wrong with these politicians that they won't accept that this is one of the biggest issues in the country and has been for many years and they need to fix it? Indeed, they do. And and what we're seeing is exactly what
1: I predicted we'd see when the numbers got unmanageable yeah. in terms of the administration. Right. We would see the government increasing its, its knee-jerk... Almost panic-driven responses to manage what's arri- actually mm. arriving here. Yeah, this is the, the 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 genesis, if you like, of the the idea of putting tented migrant te- uh, mm. camps in city parks yeah. in London. It's utterly nuts. Exactly, because um, we can see what happens if you do that. Have a look at Paris. Uh, have, have a look, a look at, at par- Brussels. It's going to, uh, uh, and it's also. I mean, you know. Legal, illegal. These people, that you know, you are putting them in a in a in a place where disease and infection is going to be rife. Yeah. You got, you've got to manage the law and order aspect of it. You've got to provide food, the logistics, and so on. It's nuts. Mm. Um, if they're going to do that, and let's be honest, we've got so many people coming in now that we, the government somehow has to play catch up mm. and get ahead of the game and demonstrate some forward leaning initiative. Yeah. Um, they're not doing that so far. But to do that, they need to be building refugee camps mm. on Salisbury Plain or some yeah. such. There are many solutions to this, but
3: this is just a, an well, example of how f- how absolutely chaotic the Home Office is. If I might be own. so bold as to suggest that building anything to house people here is the wrong approach. I agree. Because the right approach, surely, is to stop them from coming. Uh, I agree. And um, um, all I'm
1: saying is that we have now two problems. Mm. We've got the number of people who are actually here and sorting that out. Yeah. And we've got the flow that is still coming at us. So that both of those things have to be addressed. Now what I'm afraid of is that we've got, got a, a lim- such limited capacity in the Home Office to understand these mm. problems and the complexity and uh, a military term, lines of operation. Mm. You know, the military are used to running multiple lines of operation, each with their ob- own objectives and yeah. so on, concurrently. And yes. a military commander is is used to and trained and experienced in, in managing that mm. whole, leading that whole process, making, making sure it's on the rails. Yeah. We've clearly got no nobody of that ilk in the home office and it's needed so we've got to work both angles mm. uh, i see that the uh, again it's in the times the the home office that you mentioned it looking to amend the agreement with france yeah. well fine that i i have no objection to that maybe it'll have some effect but we actually don't need little sort of individual projects mm. here what we need is a proper set of strategic objectives from the government mm. That then drives a planning process, which is has cohesion across the whole piece. This mm. isn't about migrants here. It's not about the legal bit. It's not about France. Mm. It's not about the RNLI. It's not about organised crime. It's about all of yes. the above and if you don't take it in the round mm. like that take a strategic view i mean political intent leads to political or strategic objectives mm. strategic objectives lead to planning
3: processes
1: mm. i mean it's more complex than that but without that that clarity of leadership yes. and vision nothing else is but going that's to be the driven. thing
3: isn't it because it's almost as though you need somebody to sit you down and go look what's the objective here if the yeah. objective is to stop them coming then there are certain things that you need to do. Correct. You need to make it less friendly for when they get here. You need to make it more difficult for them to get here. You need to make it more punishable when they do arrive illegally, Absolutely. as the Australians did. You know, the fact is, p- clearly people are coming here because, one, they know if they mm. land here, there's a pretty good chance they'll never leave. They'll never Indeed. get kicked out. you know that 4% of cases are being looked at by the Home Office. The Home Office mm. is purely and simply not fit for purpose. No. Um, and we but don't seem to have a clue. We haven't. And the other, the other
1: problem that we are just about to face, I would predict is uh, that Rishi Sunak now and the Home Office want to to process claims, asylum claims more rapidly. Now, I'm all for that, but if that's not done properly, what we will find is that the the immigration staff Mm. will be paid bonuses, I understand now, that's the idea, uh, for processing for asylum claims. What they'll be doing is just rubber stamping them. And they'll just fly through. So we will end up with people who absolutely no way, no how Mm. should have an asylum claim granted, simply being granted it so that they can play catch up with the numbers. I mean, Um, my understanding uh, of ways working at the moment
3: with these people traffickers is if you somehow, you know, your attempt to get to to Britain fails because of either the weather Mm -hmm. or because you get deported unusually. I mean, that's a pretty unusual situation. They just keep trying. And if you keep coming back and coming back and coming back, eventually you'll get there. Yeah, indeed. And you will. And at the end of the day, Mike,
1: what's going to happen is they're going to land on a beach somewhere like Dungeness Mm. and do a runner. Yeah. And
3: if as we saw this and they just disappear. Yeah, as we've seen, and we, i mean, throughout. I can tell you for sure, knowing that area mm-hmm. as I do, mm-hmm. and you know it well as mm-hmm. well. There's so many parts of the southeast coast of this country where people can land a boat without having any border force anywhere near them. Pet Level is one. Uh, you can go all the way down to Canberra Sands, anywhere you like, up to yep. Rye. The whole place is flat as a pancake.
1: Absolutely, and we know this has happened mm. because we know that migrants have been spotted inland, yeah. having
3: landed. Well, you know, I, my kids have told me stories of how they've walked through where, we, where they live in. Sussex is not that far from the coast. There's plenty of woods and stuff where they all go and hang out, and they find people living there. Indeed. There's people living in the woods in parts of Sussex, Indeed. right? And they're not homeless people. No. They're people who have come here from another country. But it's it's not just the people,
1: and I, I you know I know that this is the the big part of it at the moment, and it's representative of a, a systemic problem in government and the way we manage our mm. borders and immigration. Right. But but bear in mind that the largest group of people coming in, as we've discussed before, are Albanians. Yes. Albanians are Europe's biggest cocaine traffickers, yeah. biggest ho- uh, heroin traffickers, yeah. and biggest firearms biggest traffickers. Biggest people traffickers pi- as well. Biggest people how, traff- how is it possible,
3: for example, so, and I was talking to this lawyer earlier who didn't seem to quite grasp what I was getting mm-hmm. at, um, how is it possible for people to come from a country which is in NATO, as far as I'm mm-hmm. aware, which is part of Europe, so it's not actually, and you know, from another continent. How can they come here and claim to be refugees from a country which is not at war? Well, indeed, just to finish my Sorry. previous point, just very briefly, Mike.
1: Um, the thing is, it's not just people coming over. Mm. All cocaine and all heroin in this country is imported across our borders. Mm. So we're not just talking about people. And the cost at the moment is around 14, 15 billion a year Mm. to look after the migrants that are here, the asylum seekers and migrants that process that. The the cost to the taxpayer of the the, the health cost, the policing cost and so on, related to the cocaine and heroin trades, is about 21 billion. Mm. So we're talking about if Rishi Sunak wants to close the hole in his budget deal with this problem yeah. and then you've closed the hole in your budget
3: yes um but, I but I mean, to closing your- the cocaine smuggling business is not possible because one thing I, we know is that nobody's ever been able to do that. I agree, but but we can't stop the
1: Albanian criminals who are actually trafficking. Well, we their certainly stuff shouldn't, in encar- anyway. shouldn't be encouraging <laughs> them to come here. No, That's we shouldn't. Sure. Uh, uh, but but to go back to your, your your question, Mike, we've got a returns agreement with Albania. The problem is identifying. Uh, number one is identifying them because they play a game. The Albanians. Mm. There are four areas that Albanians live in in that region: Albania itself, Kosovo. Yeah. the Republic of Northern Macedonia and Southern Serbia. Now, our immigration officials are utterly unable to identify people. If somebody says they're from Kosovo Mm. or Albania, whatever, they're unable to to identify whether or not that's the truth. Now, there are ways of getting around that. In 2006, we brought Macedonian police officers to the UK Mm to conduct interviews of people and they were saying you're not from Kosovo yeah. you're from Tetovo in right. Macedonia and I can tell by your dialect right we don't have that skill right. we don't because have
3: initially answer. the people who came from Kosovo were coming from Kosovo as a result of the Balkans war as a result of ethnic cleansing and so that was seen it, as indeed. humanitarian but, that, but of course funnily enough the other Albanians have gone oh we'll just say we're from Kosovo what well, indeed and 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 actually that war I was
1: there I was du- there embedded in the, with the Serbian yeah. security forces at the time as an observer for mm. for London and Washington um and that war was actually yes the Serbs were bang out of order in mm. lots of respects. And yeah. we're going back nearly what, 25 years Well, there were no good now. guys but in that war. There were weren't. But the Al- it was almost triggered by Albanian organised yeah. crime right. in Kosovo and the way that the, that, yeah. that confrontation played out as well as the politics. But um, we should be returning them. There is a ret- returns agreement. But the, the other problem is a legal one where they are claiming that they are being trafficked mm. and they are victims of human right. trafficking. Um, that's a, a conversation in itself. But again... The lack of knowledge yeah. and training for our, the immigration officers who are dealing with this mm. means that they have no clue whether or not mm. this claim of, yeah. the, of trafficking is valid well, or not. A we're lot of we're
3: acting people- like, literally like saps. We so are. so fascinating this. We could go on forever, but we ran we out could. of time. We are, we are being taken advantage of. It's bloody obvious to me. It's obvious to Henry. It's obvious to all of you. Why can't the government fix it? God's sake, get on with it! This is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here at Talk TV. Friday uh, is looming; the weekend is looming. The clocks go back on Saturday night. Don't forget, it is Poppy Day as well, uh, so you can get your poppy today if you wish, uh, or if you don't wish, do what you want. Uh, try and give him some money anyway; it's always a good cause. Ian Williams is here, uh, former correspondent, of course, for Channel Four News and the Sunday Times expert in chinese affairs uh, author of uh, every breath you take china's new tyranny also the spectator as well welcome good to be back nice to see you. i haven't seen you since the old uh, the days of um, of the mourning for the queen i think it was the last time i saw you that's
2: right when we were discussing china's uh, will they come or won't yes. they and they did
3: in the end yes they did but they didn't come in the form of the main man i suppose right No, no, but he was a pretty close aide of Xi. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff to talk about this morning. Let's start off with the lockdown um, as Beijing revisits COVID, something we never thought they would do.
2: Yep, it's back, you know, like a one of those monsters that you cannot slay, that's got a, a momentum and a life of its own. Yes. Uh, not surprising, really, because at the Congress, the Communist Party's shindig last weekend, Xi Jinping declared that there would be no wavering, that this was a people's war mm. on the virus. And, no. uh, you know, whereas you had Mao with all those um, red guards waving their little red books, you've yes. now got the white guards, mm. all these... Uh, White-clad hazmat-suited yes. zealots waving the little well, I vials think and, you, and when swabs.
3: We, when we spoke before, there were there were those videos of people holding each other at sort of literally not not arms length, but even longer than arms. Length. They had those weird poles, didn't they, where they were sort of holding people back. That's right, and I mean we we've seen some incredible
2: stuff, and it, and it's back. And the latest figures I've seen is something like 28 cities across China have some form of lockdown. That's mm. involving 200 odd million people. Um, it's back in Wuhan, which, yeah. of course, is where it all started. Right. iPhone City, Zhengzhou, this vast uh, complex where Apple makes half its mm. phone has right. been effectively shut down after a handful of cases in the factory. Right. Uh, it's, so you know, they're
3: behaving as they used to behave as opposed to taking a different view and saying, well, we now know perhaps better than that.
2: Yeah, it's it's that they, there's no question of China saying we're going to learn to live with it like the rest of the world they're still into eradicating Mm. it but of course they're in a bind she's in a corner because Chinese vaccines are not effective and he won't allow the import of of more
3: effective foreign Mm. vaccines right and as far as the the Apple situation is concerned I'd heard that (laughs) Apple were moving quite a lot of their production from China back to the U.S partly because of uh, the cost of of, of energy, partly because of the cost of shipping as well, and also because they thought after everything that's happened, they wanted to be slightly less reliant on production outside of the US.
2: They do, but they'll never say that publicly yeah. because they're terrified there'd be a backlash against them. <laughs> yeah, because they China. are, Yeah, they are very dependent on yeah. China, both for sales mm. and in terms of all their the factories being built there. But this is an example of the dislocation, the risks. Mm. And in fact, the new iPhone, I mean, this factory in Chengdu makes half the world's iPhones. Right. But the new one, the iPhone 14, a lot of those are now being made in India. Ah. So they're trying to diversify okay. away from China. It's all about resilience now it's no
3: longer about yes. the
2: cheapest place they to don't want to be it. held
3: to ransom in other words fascinating video has come our way um which you can talk us through um once we get it up on the uh, up on the old uh, uh, tv screen it's showing a sort of intergovernmental problem, it seems to me. But, I mean, only in China would you see something like this. I don't know if you can see it now. It's on the screen. There's a huge hammer and sickle. Uh, there's a huge collection of Chinese officials. It looks as though one man is being removed effectively. Tell us what's happening. Well, this is Hu Jintao, and he was the predecessor
2: to um, Xi Jinping. Mm. I mean, he ruled China for, for 10 years. I mean, this is an important guy in right. the he's Communist Party to, food to, to chain. He's left, isn't he? He is, and he's being forced to his feet... And they're trying to get him to leave. He doesn't want to leave. Here he taps G on the shoulder, has a word with him. G nods perfunctorily, really? doesn't even acknowledge him, doesn't even turn, and the guy is led out of the hall. Mm. Um, it's and an extraordinary scene. Well, the speculation that maybe the guy was sick—that's the line that Chinese media are right. peddling. But of course, the other explanation is that this was a very public humiliation yeah. of a man who represented everything that she doesn't under mm. Hu Jintao. China was was a more collective form of leadership. It was yeah. it was a more open country. Mm. Um, and now, of course, you've effectively got one man rule. Yeah. You've got a guy that's setting himself up for jobs for her job for life, and he's surrounded himself with flunkies, yeah. with
3: loyalists. And the two people leading him out, of course, wearing masks, it, was, it would appear. And presumably he hasn't been seen since, has he? No, but there's a lot of speculation because it's... <laughs> i uh, yeah, shouldn't be
2: laughing, really, but <laughs> no, it's such a but unusually I mean, it, it, different it, it, way of doing things. It is, it, but, it, but it often... Tyranny and, and and the ridiculous and what uh, uh, both sides of yeah. the same coin. There's right. a fine line sometimes mm. between the two. Yes. And in China, you see that a lot. And you shouldn't laugh when mm. someone disappears. But it is so...
3: It's so weird. Similarly, um, I remember watching a video once of Vladimir Putin, um, who was visiting some kind of big, comp- complex industrial building where they were supposed to be producing something. It was supposed to be a private company, but it was obviously under the auspices of, of nationalisation. And there was a guy who was being forced to sign something and his hand was shaking so much because clearly he was worried that whatever he was signing was probably his own death warrant. And he had to give the pen and and the pen didn't work. Putin gave another pen. And it was chilling to watch, but but kind of bizarre in its way. It is. But you've,
2: you're seeing a similar thing, mm. because when you have that concentration of power in one mm. man, everybody wants to tell the emperor what he wants yeah. to hear. Right. And there's no one to blame anymore. Right. And the difficulty is, some people say, oh, you know, this shows China is stable. You've got mm. this strong leader. But I don't go along with that, because not only is there no one left to blame, but there was a kind of system of succession mm. that you went after 10 yeah. years. That's gone. So it could well be that when you get round to replacing G, it's yeah. going to be a whole lot more
3: messy and destabilised. Well, maybe someday two men in masks will come for him. Uh, that, that, I would. Almost uh, think that's, that's right? quite, Almost I think certainly. the likelihood of that is quite high. <laughs> yeah. um, finally, let's talk about the secret police stations in the UK because we saw that terrible incident in Manchester uh, where a protester was kind of dragged inside uh, what was effectively the consulate um, of China um, and beaten up? What's uh, what's this story about? Yeah, well, that that example of that beating up, of course, and of course,
2: still no really firm action against the Chinese diplomats mm. involved. But no, this this story emerged through Safeguard Defenders, which is a an NGO, a human rights mm. NGO, that obtained a database from a local police authority in China, mm. which detailed. Um, secret police stations alleged in about 30 different countries. Now, a lot of them were in this country. Mm. When people went to investigate, it turned out some were restaurants, some were real estate companies, and it seemed they were more like front organisations, a post office box, a telephone. Mm. But the more worrying and chilling thing is they were part of this system which we know has existed under the Communist Party through which they pressure dissidents. Mm. They say we're out to get fraudsters, we're out to get criminals. But, you know, that's a pretty wide definition Mm. in China because they define anybody that opposes the Communist Party as a criminal or Mm. a fraudster. And in fact, just in the last few days, I was talking to some recently arrived Hong Kong um exiles here activists and they were telling me that they're actually quite frightened about being watched about being spied upon about people gathering information on them and that they have many
3: of them will have families back in hong kong exactly
2: and one person i spoke to has actually cut his links with his family in hong kong to protect them Mm. and they're very worried and when Mm. these reports came out i mean they have urged the authorities to be more vigilant um, and we just hope that they are more yeah. vigilant than we've seen so far in the Manchester yeah. incident.
3: Absolutely. Ian, uh, we're out of time, sadly, but fascinating stuff. Uh, we'll see you again soon for another update on uh, things because as, uh, we haven't really had a chance to ask you about this, but we'll do it next time. Rishi Sunak and his uh, relationship with China and how that's all going to go. Uh, but we've got more to do. Uh, we're going to talk to Morgan Schondelmeyer, Head of External Affairs at the Adam Smith Institute, why the Home Office has to be broken up. Also, um, there's a bit of a row going on on TikTok I should be addressing that as well. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart
2: speaker. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.